everyone, welcome to tonight's MHTV. We're really looking forward to having a chat tonight with Dr. Rob Baskind, who's an independent consultant psychiatrist and specialist in adult ADHD. So tonight we'll be talking all things adult ADHD. Um, Nikki is going to be doing social media, so I'll hand over to Nikki for a minute to explain how you can join in tonight, and then we'll um, go straight into the chat. Yeah, we really okay. want to hear, yeah, we really want to hear your um, ideas, opinions, and questions. So, if you're on Facebook Live, just type away for us in the, in the box at the bottom. And we'll we'll catch up and we'll feed your questions in. And if you're contacting us via Twitter, use the hashtag MHTV and we'll see your question. So, we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, Vanessa. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so um, tonight, so we're talking about um, ADHD, which is very much in the um, in the press isn't it at the moment and there seems to be a massive surge in awareness around ADHD recently but I'm aware that there might be people joining in tonight Rob who um, don't know very much about ADHD so perhaps if we just start by um, you introducing yourself and then maybe just talking a little bit about what um, adult ADHD is. Uh, no problem. Thanks, Vanessa. Um, so hi everyone. Um, I'm, I'm Rob Baskind. I'm a, I'm a consultant psychiatrist um, I've worked as a consultant psychiatrist well, for quite a while now, um, working in the NHS from, uh, until just recently, actually. I, um, my first consultant job was actually working in prisons, and uh, it was in prisons where I, I first kind of got interested in ADHD, and uh, I then set up the Leeds uh, NHS Adult ADHD Service, uh, which still runs. Um, so, um, yeah, I'll just give a bit of an overview of adult ADHD then uh, to, to start with. Um, so for those that don't know, um, ADHD stands for um, uh, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Um, I think most people will probably have heard of the words ADHD, and I think many might still have the uh, opinion potentially that uh, um, ADHD is, is, is what... Uh, stereotypically, I guess, was, was regarded as a kind of naughty boy's um, uh, kind of problem and a behavioural uh, difficulty. Um, but we we know, we understand a lot more about ADHD and, and, and that ADHD certainly is is a lot more than um, a lot more than that. Um, so we, we regard ADHD as, uh, I guess, a, a neurodevelopmental condition, which is a, a condition which um, you're born with um, um, it's, it's the way our, our brains are wired um, and it manifests in a number of different uh, symptoms and, and, and behaviors um, starting in childhood and we need to be able to identify even in, in assessments for adults that uh, children have they had um, symptoms and behaviors as, as children so the typical symptoms would be difficulties with focusing and concentration, uh, regulating attention, um, organization of day-to-day -day life, being very easily overwhelmed, uh, being very forgetful, uh, being very easily distractible, and uh, also often physically restless, um, you know, needing to kind of be on the go all the time. As, as uh, individuals become adults, often that physical restlessness uh, becomes much more problematic and manifested as a, as a mental restlessness. So difficulties with brain switching off and multiple thoughts constantly, uh, often making an individual very exhausted and 
also get impulsive symptoms and, and being impulsive in behaviors and impatient in, in conversation and, and waiting, waiting a turn. And, and we also understand that ADHD is very much associated with difficulties regulating emotions, um, often very quick changes in emotions and very, lots of challenges being able to tolerate change and tolerate frustration and um, be able to manage criticism actually and um, um, individuals with ADHD are very prone to feelings of rejection and, and feeling uh, feeling extreme emotions uh, at points of kind of criticism or, or, or challenge um, so, so so in essence that's that's what ADHD is and, and it um, I guess it affects multiple areas of, of someone's life mm -hmm. from uh, education occupation um, uh, substance use, relationships, um, uh, finances. Um, so really, uh, it's a it's a condition that affects almost every facet of of someone's life. Often, which is why it's something that's so important to to pick up and identify early, uh, if possible. Yeah, there definitely seems to be um, a shift, doesn't there, in the land landscape around ADHD because just thinking back you know I was a child in the 80s and you know ADHD I can remember even back then was seen as you know just characterized by hyperactive children and there was never really that much discussion about how that might present in adults and now I look back on my career and you know when I was um, you know qualified in the 90s and I think of you know how many people I worked with who possibly were misdiagnosed with other mental health conditions and possibly um it was um adhd that was the root of of the issues for the person so do you think that um that kind of diagnostic landscapes changed because i i do when i reflect on my career i think that things have really shifted yeah no i think that's i think that's very true Vanessa. um <laughs> i think uh yeah i mean we we saw a lot of people in our clinics who being given uh, other diagnoses and earlier, mm -hmm. so that'd be anxiety or depression or personality yeah. difficulties. Uh, but the ADHD had often been missed or not thought about. Um, I do think that we, we, we've still got quite a way to go to yeah. um, raise awareness further, in, uh, okay. especially in health professionals, um, yeah. um, to, to be able to recognise it and not be making those misdiagnoses, I guess making sure that people are getting the right approaches and the right interventions at the right time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And in terms of um, childhood ADHD, is it always the case that that leads to adult ADHD? Because um, I think, you know, just looking at looking at the past children who've been diagnosed with hyperactivity, I wonder if they've then gone on to have any support as an adult for ADHD, whether that link's been made. Is that is that the case? Yeah, or is so that it's only really over the last kind of 10, 15 yeah. years, really, that people have really kind of started taking um, uh, it seriously that uh, children become adults and uh, the the idea that suddenly ADHD kind of magically disappears on your 18th birthday um, is, is thankfully um, a thing of the past in the main, um, although I still hear it, sadly. Um, but, yeah, the research suggests that... Um, at least two thirds of individuals with ADHD as children will continue to yeah. meet criteria for ADHD as an adult and continue to kind of suffer 
uh, challenges and, and, and impairments. And um, I mean, possibly that's an, that's an even an, an underestimate that that, that research is, is quite old now, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in terms of you mentioned at the beginning when you were describing ADHD, um, there's there's inattentive ADHD, isn't there? And then there's a more impulsive ADHD. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about the differences? Yeah, so so a lot of people um, kind of still use the term ADD, uh, mm. which was what ADHD was was called uh, some time ago. Um, and um, so ADHD isn't isn't a kind of recognised category anymore. But what it really means is um, uh, ADHD, which is just inattentive. So you're more likely to just have inattentive symptoms, such as the kind of challenges with regulation of attention and organisation, distractibility and, and things like mm -hmm. that, without the hyperactivity. Um, mm -hmm. It's quite unusual to see somebody who's just got hyperactivity without inattention. But we do yeah. see many people who have both the inattention and the hyperactivity. So we, we, we regard that diagnostic category as being a combined type of ADHD. Okay, yeah, it's interesting. And are there any um, gender differences with ADHD in terms of sort of prevalence diagnosis and, and maybe you know how it presents as well in the different genders yeah no it, it's a really important issue and, and yeah. very topical and relevant at the moment um so um yeah the, the research suggests uh, in terms of diagnoses that males are much more likely to get a diagnosis than females around so three mm -hmm. to four to one three or four to one um um, but that narrows significantly um, in adult diagnoses, which strongly suggests that we're missing girls. Um, and, and, and that's uh, for many reasons. Um, some of it being the kind of stereotypical myths around how ADHD presents um, in terms of the kind of naughty boy um, uh, kind of uh, yeah. stereotype. Um, and, and girls can often uh, be very much... Uh, masking symptoms uh, much yeah. more likely to mask their symptoms and internalize difficulties um you know, and which often can then present in other mental health challenges such as anxiety and depression and eating disorder uh, behaviors um so it can often get get missed because of that and yeah. you know if they're not causing significant disruption um yeah. then then it's, it's not something that's often considered and you know they're daydreaming and finding it difficult to concentrate that's often not kind of picked up yeah yeah um interesting Nikki any questions at this point yeah there's somebody saying um well no actually what is this commentary saying um I didn't realize that I didn't realize there was a gender imbalance um how do you get diagnosed there's another question that's come through I was going to ask that next so that's timely oh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a million dollar question at the moment um um with difficulty um, in, in the main, unfortunately. Um, so what's, what's, what's kind of happened in the landscape over the last kind of 10 years? So, I mean, I started my service in 2011 um, and we were one of quite a, a small number of services actually in the UK um, diagnosing, um, assessing adults for ADHD. Um, since then, there's, there's been you know, quite a dramatic increase in services, which is great. But alongside that, there's been a even greater dramatic increase in awareness and demand. Um, so as ADHD started being talked about in the media and there's been lots of kind of celebrities and, and so on that have talked about their own ADHD, yeah. um, this has driven up um, demand as, as people understand it more. 
Um, and so services are in general are actually getting very um, kind of blocked really in, in terms of um, uh, being able to offer timely assessments and waiting lists are sadly uh, increasing. I think it does vary depending on where you are in the country and feel that kind of potentially creates a, a postcode lottery a little bit in terms of where you are um, and what pathways are local. Um, so uh, I would always recommend that you see your GP and discuss it and in, inquire about the local services. But uh, what we're what we're finding is a lot of people are, are finding very long waiting lists in the NHS, which, which, which sadly kind of leads to people looking elsewhere and, and, and privately for, for 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 assessments. Yeah, that's a shame, isn't it? So it's a um, double-edged sword, isn't it? So increased awareness is great, but then on the other hand, it leads to much more increased demand, doesn't it, on um, the need for people to be diagnosed. And just what you were saying there about celebrities, I think that reflects mental health culture overall, doesn't it? Because, you know, we see some sort of people with high-functioning, um, you know, ADHD possibly, and um, I'm just wondering, is it a continuum like other mental health conditions where the people with ADHD who are functioning quite well, maybe, um, you know, finding jobs that, um, you know, sort of fit with their ADHD yeah. in terms of not having to do that, you know, have deadlines kinds of jobs. And then people who are really struggling to work and ADHD is maybe more of a disability for some people than it is for others. Oh. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it really ranges in, in terms of, of its impact, and um, I think I think sometimes the high functioning side of it can be a little bit misunderstood as well. Because I guess yeah. high functioning often is understood as as being mm -hmm. related either to IQ or, or or to having a job. But we know that you know individuals who 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 on the surface appear to kind of be very successful actually uh, are experiencing significant okay. difficulties. Yeah. Um, Either within the job or, or 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 within kind of managing kind of home life and, and relationships and so but the, but you know an important part of ADHD is also recognizing that there's a lot of kind of positive strengths that people have with ADHD mm -hmm. so um, you know being able to think outside the box being kind of energetic yeah, and passionate and driven so so we see like a lot of comedians and sportsmen and and, and successful businessmen who have channeled those strengths or have got the support mm -hmm. to be able to use their strengths to their maximum mm. who, who are very successful probably as much because of their ADHD as much as anything else actually yeah, um, so, yeah. so it's important to see see that side of it yeah it does seem like there's a lot of creative people who talk about having ADHD and um, certainly I've I've noticed that so it's interesting that kind of reflects what you've just said really doesn't it yeah definitely. yeah yeah and um so we've talked about how to um how to go about getting a diagnosis what does the sort of diagnostic assessment involve for adhd for somebody who's so yeah so so kind of a a, a you know a appropriate adhd assessment should involve um you know a face-to-face -face appointment uh, appointment or video appointment at least um an appointment with the person um it should involve collection of, uh, you know, uh, information from significant others. So that's usually um, trying to get information from a parent to uh, uh, understand the observations of the person as a child, and, and usually someone who knows them uh, in adulthood. So often a, a partner or, or a friend or somebody like that. Um, 
and um, it involves kind of understanding that person's um, background history, their mental health history, because it's really important as part of the criteria mm -hmm. to be able to exclude that any presentation of symptoms could be yeah. explained by another condition. Um, and then usually going through a kind of diagnostic schedule or you know, interview of, of specific symptoms uh, that you're trying to um, assess whether the, the individual kind of meets which would satisfy the, the, the criteria. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And um, you mentioned about excluding other conditions. Another thing that I've noticed um, a lot um, sort of on social media recently is the link between autism and ADHD as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it's a very strong association. <laughs> um, there's, there's both overlap um, of, yeah. of symptoms, um, uh, but also uh, a high degree of kind of coexistence as well. So um, we see a lot of people who, so I see a lot of people who have ADHD, who either have a lot of traits that would be consistent with autism or, or actually, yeah. um, you know, the full kind of autism package as it were um which can make it challenging sometimes because there's yeah. some symptoms of autism which kind of directly conflict some of the symptoms of adhd such as the need for order and routine yeah. against the adhd the more disorganized nature mm. um so um but it's, it's interesting but it, it, it does add complexity and, and greater challenges i guess for the for the individual especially kind of in social kind of relationships and communication yeah. and, yeah and in terms of um treatment for adhd what's available that helps people who are living with adhd yeah so i mean often you know what what adults will will, will get offered um um would be uh medication um um medication is you know licensed for the treatment of adhd in adults and often recommended this as one of the first approaches um um i think it creates challenges in itself because um yeah. you know the more people that are diagnosed more potentially people might be on medication and yeah. medication can be very effective absolutely very effective in terms of helping support people and you know many many people have kind of um fed back that it's been life-changing and um, yeah. you know it's really helped them in their life and their mental health and their relationships and their parenting and, and other areas uh, but it's important it's really important not to think of medication as a kind of one yeah. kind of uh, size treatment as it were and, and and to really kind of look at the other parts so getting some help with structure and organization and um you know some coaching can, can be really effective and, and helpful um you know uh some uh talking therapy can be very helpful because often People with ADHD, they've they've had quite you know quite a traumatic life in, in, in yeah. often in in that you know they've you know they've, they've found it difficult to succeed they've they've mm -hmm. often kind of received a lot of you know, negative comments from from those people close to them um, you know they've struggled to keep jobs and relationships and mm -hmm. and, and so on so um, it is important to kind of have the support and um, you know and sometimes that involves of educating family members as well because yeah. you know it can be quite quite, quite difficult also for, for, for them to kind of understand mm. um the, the you know the, the family members adhd and, and how that presents mm -hmm. and 
Um, but um, but that raising awareness can be you know, incredibly helpful to the person, but also the family in terms of you know being able to reduce conflict and and, and improve uh, communication. I guess. Yeah, definitely. I love the um, ADHD love account. Is it that they do a lot of reels about from the yeah. partner who's talking about? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah they've recently read a, uh, written a book, haven't they? I think. Um, yeah, dirty, dirty laundry. laundry really. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think they're great though, aren't they? It kind of humanises it, doesn't it? And, you know, yeah, absolutely. the sort of challenges that people experience. Yeah. Um, Nikki, anything from you at this point? I know I've got a lot of questions. So, <laughs> so um, there's there's a question about someone just looking for clarification on when, you, when you're talking about gender, are you saying that more men have it than more than women or that we just see it in men more I've cl- I've no no I, 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 I'm, I'm suggesting more men are being diagnosed than mm. women. Um, I think the prevalence is probably very very closer together actually yeah yeah um someone asking is this new or has this always been with us which is suggesting that you have an epic knowledge of prehistory I guess but <laughs> is this something that's developed or is it something we've discovered so that was the question. No, I think ADHD has always been about, um, yeah. you know, we've, we've actually got, um, you know, descriptions of what's very ADHD-like in, in medical literature going back to the 18th century. Yeah. Um, so it, it's like anything. It's, you know, until, you know, people understand it yeah. and put the construct together and, um, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, raise awareness about it, then it, it clearly becomes more common. You know, we've seen that with lots of, medical and mental health conditions and that's that's just I'm sure it will continue to be the case that we'll kind of discover mm. more about these things yeah and I've got another couple of questions asking about how how to help but I guess it makes more sense maybe for you guys to think about how this relates to sort of criminal justice system because this is it's forensic setting they're talking about so yeah maybe that would be the next step to think about yeah yeah Okay. Well, I know we mentioned, um, Rob mentioned at the beginning that um, your sort of interest started with ADHD, didn't it, in um, in prisons? And, and obviously people know that I work in prisons as well. And certainly we do see a high prevalence of people presenting with ADHD. So, um, yeah, it'd be quite useful to talk about why, maybe start with why there's such a high prevalence in, in prisons. What, you know, why is that? Is that true? Yeah, but presentation of ADHD in terms of impulsivity? Well, I think if you if you look at the kind of way that ADHD impacts someone's life, so, yeah. um, you know, it potentially impacts their ability to complete education. It, it mm. might make somebody quite impulsive and restless in, 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 in a school environment, which might lead to suspension or exclusion. Yes. It might lead to people finding it difficult to form relationships and peer relationships people with ADHD are more likely to start using substances earlier to try and either mm-hmm. self-medicate or because they we often find that they're actually more likely to associate with older peers and um, be quite suggestible and risk-taking in their behaviours um, more likely to have relationship difficulties and and other other health challenges um, yeah. so I guess when you put that into the mix, then it, you know, it, we can understand why yeah. that might lead to an individual kind of getting involved in um, bending behaviours and then 
as we know, and as we all know, so once someone's within the cycle um, and, and within the system, it, it can be very challenging to, 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 to break out and learn the skills to then uh, function uh, back in society. Um, so um, I, think, I think that's why we see so many. And the, the statistics suggest that uh, up to 20 to 25% of prisoners would meet criteria for ADHD, which is quite oh, yeah. scary, really. Yeah. Water, yes. Yeah. And is that, I know we've talked about gender, but is that um, across the male and female estate, you know? The rates seem to be hiring males. Um, yeah. That reflects I mean, we, we, the yeah, I mean, Proportionality, we probably have more male women anyway, though, easy. But, um, but yeah, and um, so, so that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what the stats are showing at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, and in terms of um, uh, prisons, what can we do? Do you think to improve the care and support that's offered to people in in prisons? Now, I know that's a massive question. But I'm just thinking that one of the challenges I hear from practitioners is um, when they're seeing someone with ADHD that um, you know they don't have a, a sort of specialist understanding of ADHD, and uh, you know sometimes I think people are scared to uh, you know to know what to do to help someone and. One of the messages that I've been given is around, you know, just working with someone in a person-centred way and understanding what their issues are and, you know, how how that affects their day-to-day functioning and then, you know, working from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, um, it is challenging. I mean, when we talk about statistics, it's just kind of one in four, then that, that's very scary from a... Uh, resource and uh, capacity um, to be able to support that 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 many people. Um, I think the, the first thing is is is, is definitely raising awareness um, uh, within uh, healthcare staff, mental health staff about ADHD, but also um, within the criminal justice staff as well, um, yeah. because it can really uh, impact the. Uh, the you know the interactions that that they have with with with, with individuals with ADHD if they understand it better and understand that actually this this kind of more effective ways to to communicate um, and um, uh, then then maybe it's kind of been traditional in in, in, a, in a, a kind of offender um, establishment so I think that's certainly the most important thing is kind of raising awareness. And that's really important for the prisoners themselves because often they feel very misunderstood. So yeah. actually, if they feel a bit more understood, that 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 goes a long way to I think in in terms of helping support them. And I guess uh, I, I, it's it's always difficult because people talk about it, you know, needing kind of a specialist knowledge and specialist service. Mm. But actually, it's a very common condition relatively yeah. to to many other conditions that are treated. So. Yeah. You know, in adults, it's like four to five percent, um, yeah. which you know, compared to many other mental health conditions, is 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 kind of three or four times actually. So mm-hmm. you know, we should probably be less talking about it as a specialist condition as a common yeah. condition yeah. that 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 needs to be uh, needs that people need to understand. So just kind of maybe you know, normal part of doing mental health work rather than kind of seeing it as something kind of special and separate. I think would be kind of really helpful because. Often it's assessing and diagnosing someone with ADHD is actually more often than not very straightforward. Um, And once you take away the kind of mythical part of it, it it really is kind of very straightforward. So, Mm -hmm. 
you know, I don't think it takes much to improve services, but I think that, I think there's a fear because of the potential numbers. I think that always yeah. kind of creates a fear and a barrier to, 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 to um, you know, kind of facing up to it, as it were, and um, it's easier to bury heads in sand, I think, sometimes. Yeah, I think so. I think as well, there seems to be a move towards people um, self-screening and self-identifying as having ADHD, and sometimes I think people get hung up um, I don't know if this is your experience as well on um, somebody needing a formal diagnosis of having ADHD to actually support rather than supporting someone who self-identifies as having ADHD. And I guess as it gets more and more difficult to, to get a diagnosis of ADHD, we might see this happening more and more, mightn't we? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a difficult challenge at the moment because mm-hmm. I think because so many people are raising awareness and self-identifying and, um, and you know, most people who come for di- assessment, whether it's in person or outside person, um, often people who have read about it or someone suggested it to them, um, often not a healthcare professional. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, you know, I think there's always a bit of a fear about people kind of self-identifying with mental health conditions or, or those conditions yeah. and um, that really does a disservice to to the individual themselves who've often done a great deal of research actually um, in, into kind of trying to understand themselves and yeah. you know and um, yeah it's it's really important to take take it seriously and not dismiss I think a lot of people a lot of professionals in, in Tangle by have, have dismissed the idea of someone being able to kind of explore themselves what's wrong with them and, and be able to present it uh, to, to, to a professional one but I, I think it's I think it's something that has to be taken very seriously um, and it certainly doesn't invalidate you know their, their, their experiences. Yeah yeah the other thing that I wonder about really is um, as more and more people are diagnosed and as is more awareness whether we'll stop seeing it as sitting within mental health or being a condition at all and you know, we'll start to see that actually some people are neurotypical and some people are neuro, neurodiverse and that's, you know, the way of the world, whereas at the minute the world is designed for people who are neurotypical, isn't it? So people who don't fit into that bracket struggle right. because they're masking, as we said earlier, to kind of fit into a world that yeah. doesn't understand them. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, to be honest, I, I you know, when I, when I see patients now, I... I, I... I describe to them that they've got a neurodiversity, they've got diversity, you know, as it, yeah. with any other diversity, whether that'll be kind of gender, sexuality, race, culture, um, and, you know, they, they're, they're not ill, they haven't got an illness, um, yeah. they're, 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 they've just got a, a difference, um, and, and that should be uh, a lot of the time embraced. Um, but you're absolutely right that the main challenge is that people with... Uh, whether it's ADHD or autism or, um, or dyslexia for that matter, um, yeah. have is um, trying to fit in to the, you know, this neurotypical world. And and that is almost universally what actually um, leads to the experience of the other mental health difficulties like the anxiety um, and the low mood. Um, so it's not something intrinsic about the condition itself. It's, it's it's the effect of trying to um, you know manage those symptoms and 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 uh, you know um, conform I guess yeah. um, 
in very challenging environments. Um, you know, and prison is, you know, an absolutely great example of that. You know, idea mm. of someone with ADHD who's very restless and hyperactive. Yeah. Of kind of being able to manage in a in a very very small space. Um, yeah. Very, very limited time outside a cell. Very limited time for exercise. Mm. You know, expected to queue continuously for you know very important treatments um is is really really challenging and it's um you know it's almost directly challenging their their their, their difficulties yeah there's a couple more questions come through um one person who's who's sort of saying how helpful this is but they haven't really thought about it in terms of of forensics and they're saying is there a link to suicide because it must be really difficult to have that experience and be in such a controlled space Mm. and another person coming at this from a completely different um area said some people argue that adhd isn't a thing can you talk about why people say that and and why you don't think it's correct so (laughs) very different there's no way you're weaving those two together okay i I think i'll start with the second bit and then move on because um yeah i I think (laughs) i I think i think that and there'll probably always be uh, kind of a, some kind of skepticism about ADHD for whatever reason. Um, I think um, people don't like the idea of labels. Um, um, people don't like the idea of kind of looking at someone's, the way someone behaves or presents and, and thinking there might be an, an explanation for that. That isn't just their own willful, um, you know, willfulness to, to, to behave in a, in a negative way. Um, but you know, why, why, why is it a valid condition? Well, it, you know, we have, we probably have more scientific peer-reviewed papers around ADHD than almost any other mental health condition. Um, you know, we, you know, we've looked at rates across the entire world, including you know areas of Africa and Asia, and and you know, ADHD is everywhere. It's 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 not a, a you know these symptoms are very consistent wherever you look. So, um, you know, it's it's absolutely kind of a valid kind of conditional construct or diversity or whatever you want to call it. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's it's absolutely valid. And, you know, telling somebody who's had such negative experiences mm-hmm. that your experiences aren't valid is, is, is you know, it's, it's bordering abusive, I would suggest, um, yeah. actually, and, and, and very much mm-hmm. gaslighting. Um, so... I think we need to move very much away from that. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of suicidal risk, ADHD does increase suicidal risk. Uh, it reduces mortality as well. Um, yeah. There's a really good study that's been done, I think, in Denmark, and it kind of demonstrates that if you have ADHD, um, you're, you're more likely to die younger, um, which is obviously you know, really significant. Um, but, yeah, in, in the prison environment, um, you know, I, I sadly had individuals in, in, in prison when I was there who were, who did end their life um, and, and and had ADHD. It's a very very challenging thing to manage if in, in in such an environment. And you know, if you don't think people are listening to you, and you, you, your your mind is so restless and racing, and it's it's a, it's a, it's a, a very challenging area to to be in. Yeah, and people not getting the medication on time and and things like that because of the restrictions of of the regime are hugely challenging for people aren't they in a prison context and I guess someone not having ADHD or not understanding ADHD won't appreciate why you know people are you know so fixed on needing to have their medication on time because they know that 
that's what's really helping them to manage the symptoms and manage the time in prison. Um, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, I had that. I experienced that quite a lot when I was there, and um, you know, what's what's really nice sometimes is that when when you can persuade, you know, the, the authorities, or whatever, to to ensure that people do get the medication when they need it. Um, you know, the officers and the other the other staff yeah. see the see the response really quite quickly and um, appreciate the, the response and that they're, they're able to engage with the with the with the individuals much more effectively. So yeah. it's, it's kind of a win win for everybody, really. Yeah, but, um, absolutely. And we had um, psychologists on, didn't we, Nikki, recently from Pentonville because they've developed a specialist oh, yeah. um, neurodiversity unit, and I think reflects everything that we said really around you know training up not just mental health staff but also having that whole prison approach that the prison officers understand neurodiversity and can support people and have been actively recruited because they you know want to work with people who are neurodiverse so because I think often it does seem to me that it gets kind of pigeonholed into mental health and really ADHD isn't a mental health condition as such as it's much wider than that so and I, yeah. I suppose you know the the question about whether ADHD exists makes me think about the um you know discussions around ADHD and trauma whether ADHD is actually trauma or whether people with ADHD have experienced trauma and go on to develop ADHD because of trauma or whether it's just the case that you know like the general population um there are high levels of of, of trauma and you know when you when you kind of talk to somebody and, and kind of delve into the past, the, there's a history of, of trauma that might not actually be related to ADHD. So I don't know what my position is on it. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are really around the link between trauma and ADHD. Yeah, there's certainly a kind of a quite um, active debate about it. Yeah. Um, uh, my, 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 <coughs> my thoughts are, are kind of similar to what you were just saying that. Um, yeah. Um, experience of trauma is, is not uncommon, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, um, having ADHD in itself, um, uh, it can often be a trauma. Um, and it's also important to acknowledge that um, we know that ADHD is very heritable. So um, it's highly likely that one or sometimes both parents might 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 have ADHD and, and it might be severe yeah. ADHD and um, highly likely to have been unrecognized um which might uh, mean that uh, a parent may have had other difficulties such as substance or alcohol use um and so the uh, and relationship difficulties so the potential and risk for trauma is is increased um yeah. as, a, as, a, as a result of also all of that so um um and also individuals with adhd can be easily led um, and and we know that can be a a factor in in um, you know abuse for 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 instance. So um, you know I think we can't. It's not always that easy to differentiate. But yeah. um, I think what's important is not to kind of uh, be you know creating kind of a, a line down the middle with it where you, where you've got to kind of land on one side or the other and, and be mutually exclusive that. Um, you can have ADHD and trauma, um, and it's important to, um, you know, approach both 
areas and um, provide the right interventions. And, you know, for instance, for individuals who have significant trauma and, um, uh, you know, and need, you know, psychotherapy, for instance, uh, but may have ADHD as well, actually treating their ADHD can improve their outcomes in, in, in therapy, yeah. you know, if they're able to concentrate better and be able to sit mm -hmm. for longer and, and, and so on. And, you know, have greater self-awareness and executive function, then that can, that can help mm -hmm. that. Yeah, and I suppose it's about the therapist having that understanding, isn't it, as well of neurodiversity and being able to adapt an approach so that the person feels able to, you know, work within that framework. And I guess, you know, what we were saying earlier about, um, you know, living in a world one day, hopefully, where, you know, neurodiversity is just kind of a different way of looking at the world to, to the sort of neurotypical. But I'm wondering, you know, in the here and now, are there any quick wins for for organisations, for example, and teams when they're um, not only, you know, working with people clinically, but also, you know, our staff who, uh, you know, certainly many of our staff likely to have neurodiverse conditions as well. What can employers do to um, better support people with neurodiversity? Um, I think... Uh, well, that's, that's a question. <laughs> it, is, it is a big question. Yeah. Um, I, th I, think, I, think, I think acceptance of a condition, um, understanding the challenges, and, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, if, if individuals with neurodiversity need, would, would work better with certain adjustments, then I think employers, whether it's in mental health or out kind of private world and business or, or whatever, you know, it's in their interest actually to be open to, to providing those adjustments because you're more likely to get a productive and happier workforce. So, um, so, and and that's the feedback actually that you get uh, when 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 that happens. So, you know, really pulling out the strengths of your uh, neurodiverse um, employees um, mm -hmm. and and enabling them to to channel those effectively is. is you know, is is really positive for the for for for, the, for whichever service that is. So, um, yeah, no, absolutely, and I, I agree with you. I think probably a, a number of individuals working in kind of the offender uh, mm. establishments uh, probably have kind of neurodiverse conditions, and mm. it's one of the strengths of, of having those conditions. Actually, they you want to help and support and care for for, for, for those individuals. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're coming to the last five minutes. And Nikki, I was thinking we go over to you first for any final questions and thoughts and then come back to Rob for any final thoughts or anything that we've missed. Mm. I've got a great question here, which to me totally looks like someone's fishing for an essay answer, <laughs> which I always really admire. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything big coming up in the world of ADHD? <laughs> Those are the questions. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Um, I, just you know, I don't know, I won't be told, but um, um, I mean, I think it's just it's I think ADHD in general is a very, very topical area at the moment um, in, in health, in, in business, in yeah. just society. So, um, yeah, just, and it's all over social media. So, yeah, um, yeah just keep up to date with that because you'll, you'll find what's going on. Yeah. Thank you very much. I've, I've, I have to say, I hadn't really put it together with with, with um, the criminal justice system, but it just makes yeah. total sense. And I look back on yeah. all times in forensics and even in ad, uh, open wards and stuff, we just think, oh, you missed that. So it's really yeah. nice to hear it. Thank you very much.
Yes. Yeah. Next week, by the way, we've got uh, reclaiming mental health education, what it should and could look like, and how to get there. And that's, I think, Dan Warrender and Stephen Williams. So thank Brilliant. you. Thank you. Okay. So, um, Rob, over to you then. For, I mean, we've had a really fascinating, um, in depth discussion tonight, I think. But is there anything that we've missed or any final messages before we wrap up for people who are listening? Yeah. Um, I think my, my message would be to kind of be open and curious about ADHD to um uh, i would i would i would suggest to everyone who's watching that it's highly likely you will make someone whether it's a family member or a friend or someone you you work with who has adhd whether diagnosed or not so mm. you know read up about adhd kind of be open to it and uh empathic to to, to the individuals that you see with adhd and uh it's, it's a the other thing I would say, you know, we're always looking for people to work in ADHD and then it's an incredibly um, rewarding and satisfying area to, to, to work in. So, um, you know, um, yeah, uh, keep that in mind. Yeah, it's brilliant. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on tonight. Thank you. It's been really um, interesting um, conversation. Me. Yeah, thank you. And um, we'll wrap up there, shall we? So thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll say good night. Bye. Bye.